Welcome to the Women Unveiled podcast. I'm your host, Erica Etienne. On this show, I have real conversations with women who remove their masks and share uncut and unfiltered stories of faith, redemption, sacrifice, and more. No subject or story is off limits. It's my belief and my testimony that God is a redeemer. Nothing we experience is a waste. The Lord can use everything you've gone through for your good and His glory. Each week, you'll learn about God's faithfulness, the truth of His power, and how He is present in every trial, just as He promises. So whether you're a new believer or a seasoned saint, you'll be encouraged, empowered, and equipped to keep fighting the good fight of faith. Let's get into this next story. Hey, everyone. I am so thankful that you're back again listening to another story. I have with me today a very honored guest. Her name is Yolanda Masonette, a dear friend of mine, also a contributor to my second volume of Women Unveiled Secrets of Strong Women, where she shares her phenomenal story of unveiling. Her story is entitled Behind My Smile. And if you know her, you know that you can always find her with a pleasant smile on her face. So let me give you her background. Yolanda is a passionate servant leader in every capacity. She was born and raised in New York City, and is married with two children. She's an award-winning and highly regarded healthcare management professional with over 20 years of experience, including 15 years in leadership. Yolanda has served in youth ministry, sat on hospital administrator committees and councils. Yolanda loves teaching, empowering, motivating, coaching, and leading people towards Christ. She's known as the workplace evangelist, helping people be the best versions of themselves by utilizing kingdom principles. Yolanda finds it rewarding to not only manage and build people up professionally, but ministering and helping people grow spiritually. It is her desire to continue to grow spiritually as well, doing work for our Lord and walking in obedience. Her life's ambition is to live out his great commission, exercise her faith daily, and always operate in love. Yolanda, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me today. Thank you for having me, Erica. It's always fun and exciting to talk to you. Always a pleasure. See what you're going to come up with. (laughs) Well, we're going to find out right now. I want to jump right in. So first things first, Yolanda shares a story about the trickle down effects of sexual assault. And if you know, this month is April and it is sexual assault awareness month. So I want to highlight her story as well as give hope to those who may not have quite conquered the effects of this or who are still dealing with the effects of sexual assault trauma. So Yolanda, before we get into the details of your story, can you just give us some context to your upbringing in New York? Because I feel like you gave such a great description of waking up in that city, you know, and most of us see the glitz and glamour on TV, but can you tell us the real from your perspective? Sure. So I grew up in a two-parent home. My parents came from Puerto Rico and it was just me and my sister house filled with, you know, just a weird balance, like lots of love and laughter, lots of unseen dysfunction, maybe. And yeah, it was a very interesting time. And what were the streets like? Was it really all the nice lights and city lights that we see in the movies and on TV? (laughs) Well, it can be around the holidays. (laughs) Maybe the summer. It's different. New York, every neighborhood has its own culture and vibe and, you know, definitely can be intimidating at night in certain places. And 
you know, on one street, you're in a nice place, you go across the street and not so nice. So I think everyone walks around so defensive, we forget to say like, hello and smile. Yeah. And I took note and it like sticks in my mind that you described not knowing that there were so many stars in the sky because they didn't shine as brightly over your part of the neighborhood. Yeah, that was just like any time I left the city, whether it was to go to Puerto Rico and visit my family, or there were a few summers we went camping with friends. And I was always like shocked at looking up at the sky, thinking, oh my goodness, it is like filled with all these bright lights and the moon is so beautiful. And then I guess when you're young, you don't understand about smog and, you know, whatever's causing it like not to happen in the city, but that kind of bothered me. Like, Mm. you know, there's not these pretty lights over where I live. And why is that? It just felt, it felt dark. Yeah. And with that, you did a nice kind of setup of how that same reflection was in your home. It was bright. It was light from the outside looking in, but there was also a degree of darkness that wasn't really available to be seen by everyone. But if you were in it, you know, you could see it closely. So can you talk about that darkness in your home a little bit? Yeah, that's right. I think as children, we don't understand what our parents go through. And even now I go through it with my children where you just don't have that understanding, that extra layer of discernment. And you have these expectations, you want them to come home and hug you and smile. And so It was confusing at times, like how even with a family member there kind of sitting there being a predator and you're like, you don't understand why something has to shift. If you're supposed to love me and take care of me, you know, why are you touching me in a weird way? Why are you making me feel weird? Why are you making me feel unsafe? And even like with parents, you know, if they have some type of like substance abuse issue and you're used to the love and the laughter, now they are under some type of influence. You don't know why they're acting different. You know, why are they being mean? Why are you hiding in your room so that you don't make them mad for them to, you know, maybe whoop you or yell at you? And at times it got confusing because I think through everything that I went through then and even now, I am overall a joyful person. And that was really tough for me, like that hidden darkness that I didn't understand coming from, you know, sexual abuse or alcoholism or just fear, all of that. It was hard. Yeah. And there was a mix of all of that going on for you. That's right. And was that the majority of your childhood? Yeah, because so (laughs) you deal with it at home and then you maybe go to a school or an after school care. And then there's like a janitor or a teacher who's all of a sudden doing the same. And then you go visit, you know, a home of your parents' friend. And there's like an older child there that is doing the same. It was like a repetitive cycle where some days I felt like, well, maybe this is supposed to be normal, but I feel that the Lord was with me always because there was always something that just felt off about it. It just didn't feel right. And some people will say who go through those moments, well, it just became normal. But for me, 
it was normal in the sense of I expected it. Like, I'm like, okay, well, who's going to do it in this setting? You know, I was very suspect that someone was always out to do something like that. To violate you. Yeah. But it wasn't normal in the sense that it didn't feel right. And I knew that from the start. Yeah. And that's a really important point to make because obviously I too have shared my story of being, you know, violated as a child and things like that. And you know, what's wrong, but predators, they know what they're doing also. So they will condition you and almost create this atmosphere where you don't know that you can fight and you don't know that you can say, no, I don't want this to happen and things like that. And like you places began to be where they weren't safe. You know, like everywhere was unsafe. The only place I knew I was safe was at home with my mom, you know, but other places I had the same thing, like, okay, who's the predator in this house? Who's the off person in this setting? You know, I always had that looming thing in the back of my mind that something could happen if I was outside of my mom's care. And the predators know that too. So for you, Can you give us like a age range, how this occurred from what age to what age for you? So I would think that the youngest that I could remember was maybe five. I would say even four, but for some reason, my memories are in a place where we moved and I think I was five. And then it went up to like my early teen years in terms of the topic of molestation continued in a different form. But in terms of molestation, it was like five through maybe 12 or 13. Gotcha. Then after that time period, what happened? How did it shift? So it shifted from, you know, trusted people that you've known for a long time to now you have strangers or friends taking it to a different level where it becomes assault. And as a teenager, I, you know, indulged learning to trying to cope. I was trying to find different coping mechanisms and I was promiscuous because of it. And so I kind of blamed myself for these moments, but there were three that stuck out to me where I was assaulted and you know, one was a complete stranger and a cab driver. And I just didn't know what to do and felt guilty, but that's, you know, and then one was a friend who was supposed to walk me home from, you know, like a nightclub. And then another one was like a group of people and they put something in a drink in a nightclub and kind of took me out. And that one was the most traumatic, I think, because I had to do like a whole rape kit at the next day with my mom. I was embarrassed. I was robbed at gunpoint and my friends were looking till like 6am for me. It was a lot. And sometimes I wonder like, how can I talk about it? At first I thought I just went numb. And then, you know, obviously now I just am thankful to the Lord that he kind of released me from that guilt and Yeah, that type of stuff happened. Those are the three that kind of stick out. Can you repeat that? God released you. I'm just grateful that, you know, the Lord released me from having the guilt that it was my fault and from the shame. Yeah. So I want to go back a little bit. So in that transition from 
what was happening in your early years to then your teen years. You mentioned that you became, you know, promiscuous as a result of the seed that was sown and planted, right? And what was awakening you that wasn't supposed to be, but violation that happens. And then in that, you found yourself in compromising situations that you weren't consenting to. And I want to highlight this because a lot of times people point the finger at the victim saying it's your fault because you were promiscuous. It was your fault because you were dressed that way. But none of those things are an invitation to be violated. And even if you're in a compromising situation or environment, it doesn't give anyone the license to do you harm. But the enemy is vicious and he will use anything, anyone, and any scenario. When you look back at those situations, what do you see when you look back and think about what you went through, what was happening from a spiritual standpoint? What do you see? I mean, I just think it speaks to how much the enemy hates us. Hate is powerful. And he utilized me and my weakness while I was, you know, abusing alcohol and we become vessels when we're weak and we don't have the Lord in our life. And he utilized those people and their weakness, whether, you know, there was perversion, you know, whatever they had going on. And it was just a mix of just a lot of demonic activity that we don't realize that that's what's going on. It only makes me now go harder to, <laughs> to help, you know, other young women realize what's going on. Yeah. And how did that affect you once you found someone who you actually loved and wanted to have a healthy relationship with? How did that affect all of those things affect you? In more than one way. So some women, they will shut down men. And, you know, I became a single parent. And so I was always very independent. And the more that I felt disappointed by people, which I now know is rejection, I had like a spirit of rejection on me, the more I wanted to do things by myself. So there was that component where I felt like I don't need a man. And it does tie back to, well, this is all they want, or this is all they do to women anyway. And then there was the other piece where I just didn't know what my role was as a woman with a man. Like as children, we watch these Disney movies. We want to be that princess that gets married. I didn't know how to mix those two together. Here I am an independent, strong-willed woman, non-trusting, still battling with rejection, not realizing it. But then I want to be in love and have this man take care of me. But how can a man take care of me if I can do it all by myself? And so there was like a struggle there where I became just very controlling, non-trusting, just self-sabotaging, not knowing what my role was as a wife in a relationship, as a woman in a relationship. It took for me to learn that through the word of God. Which is interesting, right? Because you grew up in a two-parent home. So your mom was there, dad was there. So you've seen or had direct eyes on what a wife may look like and how two married people interact. And the 
kind of, I don't know, assumption is that if you grow up in a two-parent household, then all is perfect. So why didn't you know? Like debunk that for us. Is what I'm asking. <laughs> Tell us yeah, the truth. You know, I know my dad and my mom, they loved each other dearly till the very end. You know, my dad passed away in 2014. My dad dealt with a lot of demons himself. So he was just doing the very best that he could. He wasn't really there to protect me per se from some of the stuff I experienced. Right. So I don't know that I knew a hundred percent, like the role of a man being a protector per se. I think that the trauma that led to all the other experiences that I experiences that I mentioned is what really put a shadow over anything else that I may have seen. And that's the thing. You can have 20 great memories, but if you have two traumatic, it'll overshadow the 20. You'll start to forget those 20. And that happens to us with everything in life. So I think that that's what happened there where I kind of lost those memories. And I didn't realize while I was going through volatile relationships, self-destructing, what the value of having a mom and a dad your whole life is. Yeah. Because it would obviously affect you if there's even the slightest bit of dysfunction in your home, number one. And then the males in your life not upholding the character in which God has called them to, then being violated by men repeatedly, it distorts your whole perception of what that dynamic is supposed to be. It's perverted. Just as the enemy wants, that whole thing is perverted. So you meet someone and this stuff starts to play out in your relationship. Like you said, self-sabotage, rejection. Can you just describe some of the specific behaviors that you were doing? Because I want the women who are listening to recognize this, that what these roots are and how they manifest. So what were your actions like toward him besides controlling, besides, you know, trying to do everything yourself? Give us a little more, you know, insight into those behaviors. Just the way I would talk to him, you know, he's very like, docile, soft-spoken. And in my mind, there's this stigma about the way that men in New York are, which is what I was used to growing up. And he wasn't that. And so it was almost like I would try to like punk him, you know, like Mm -hmm. start arguments, look through his phone, look through his email. I didn't want him to have any female friends, which I kind of understand now differently, but then it was more of a controlling thing where I felt like insecure. I would get like aggressive with him physically. Anything he did, I found wrong. Like, okay, you don't do laundry or, oh, you don't cook or, oh, you don't do this. Like my mentality was like, he had to do everything and he had to be there with me 24 seven. And I had to know everywhere that he was at all times. (laughs) I had these crazy expectations. It was just I would jump to conclusions, you know, like I text him five times. He didn't text me back. Then I would call him three more times and he didn't pick up. And the whole time he could have just been in a work meeting. But (laughs) next thing you know, not even two minutes. And I'm like texting, like cursing and saying that he's accusations and just stuff that wasn't like anyone that would have read it would have said this person has like something wrong in the mind, you know. But you did. 
You did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you did. So, but it was the effects of trauma. And you created these scenarios in your mind based on your experiences that you had gone through. I'm not saying that it's right because we need to get proper healing, but there is something going on that's wrong. I'm not diagnosing you with anything. I'm just saying that I've been there. I've been there because that's how you validate how you feel, right? So if you accuse him of all these things because that's what the other people have done or that's how men behave. So now you know that men can't be trusted. So you're going to prove your theory right. So not answering my phone calls and not texting me back means that I have to be right, which means that's why I treat you the way I do, because I knew the shoe was going to drop and I just helped us get there faster. That's right. The saddest part about that is I always felt like I needed to have people on the side too, just waiting. So Mm. go ahead and mess up because I have these three other people in my inbox, you know, it's just a really sad thing what we do when we're trying to, it's like a defense mechanism. Yeah. And where did it land you? Well, you know, God is good. I think marriage was just a wonderful, wonderful blessing. A lot of people teach each other the importance of marriage. And I don't know that I ever had that at the time. It was more of us pushing towards that to see if we could resolve our relationship because we were like crashing, (laughs) so to speak. And we did. And there was like no real wedding. We just went and we did it. Wait, wait, wait. Before the wedding though, you guys split. That's right. Didn't take time apart. So I remember the Lord kind of pointing out like you are idolizing this person (laughs) with your craziness more than me. And that's just not going to work. And I was very convicted. I was like crying. I went to church and then I moved. I just sold all my stuff. I really wanted to stay where I was, but I felt like a urge in my spirit that the Lord wanted me to move. And I did. So we were apart for a little bit until he finished his degree. And then that was something within itself because he did still visit a lot because of our children. But that space helped me grow spiritually because at that point I was kind of broken and lost and I had no other, I don't want to say choice, but I had nothing. I was just like, Lord, just fix it. Like I just completely surrendered to God in that moment. I didn't have distractions. I wasn't in a position where I could in my addiction of idolizing that I could go back to it because I was so far. So I had no choice but to move forward with the Lord and work on myself and work on my spirit. And I thank God for that. So then when he finished school, moved up here, the Lord put it in his spirit, like, okay, you've never lived anywhere else except this city, but guess what? You're going to go after this woman and your family. And he did. And then we became married Shortly after, you know, death of my family, that was very traumatic to me as well. In our weakness, the Lord became strong and we made a vow and we put the Lord as our foundation together. So some people get married because we want to be together. We want to start a family. And very few people say, hey, let's come together before the Lord and let him just take our life. Let him be the foundation and actually say those things. And then we did. And it was like everything lifted. All these petty arguments. I can tell you the last time I looked through his phone, like, I don't even remember. 
I don't ever even get the urge to question if he doesn't answer me in three hours, five hours. I'm just like, hey, hit me back. It's important. Like, and I move on. If I say do laundry and he doesn't do it for a month, I fuss so, and we laugh about it. And then I do it or he does it. It's just nothing is a big deal anymore. The Lord blessed us with so much trust and love and blessings. And he just covers us. It's just so amazing. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who experienced, you know, the type of trauma that you did, perhaps either they overcome or have a desire to overcome, or, you know, if they're seeing these same types of effects in their life today, what would you tell them? I mean, in short, I would say surrender because you're going to keep taking the same test over and over until you position yourself and you do what you're supposed to, to pass that test and to pass that trial. I would say to just wholeheartedly, I don't know what that looks like for a person, get on your knees, cry it out, go to a church, speak to the people of God to counsel you, but definitely surrender, make that first step to ensure that you're putting God ahead of anything that you say and do going forward. And, you know, in the process, you'll stumble, but he always picks us up as long as he knows that our heart is still moving towards letting him guide you. Is there anything else that you would say is important to making it through sexual trauma and being able to heal? I would say just knowing that it's not your fault. It was never your fault. And there are, you know, principalities out there that look for who they want to devour. How can I destroy this person? Is it drugs? Is it this? For some of us, it is sexual assault. And the Lord will always turn anything for good. He turns it around. And I would say to detach yourself from those spirits of abuse, those spirits of lust and guilt and shame. Those are all spirits. Detach yourself. Just visualize in your mind that it is not you. These feelings you have, those are spirits that are attached to you. So speak to someone, go into God's word, look for ways to deliver yourself from that and know that it is not you because the Lord doesn't even remember things the next day. You repent today, tomorrow, he won't remember. So you should never be ashamed for what you think you did to cause something because it, you have to kind of recondition your mind that it wasn't you. And that's where the battle begins, separating the world from the spirit. And that's my prayer for everyone to grow in the spirit, trust the Lord, and just don't blame yourself. Amen. And one final question for you. What has this unveiling process been like to you to unveil, remove the mask and share your story? It's very freeing. <laughs> I have a like a long story. There's so many, but I've only told bits and pieces to different people and there is a feeling of freedom, but doing it on such a wide and broad panel like this, that's like a whole other level of freedom. At first, it's very like exhilarating and scary, but I know that it's what the Lord wants us to do. We don't go through things to just keep it to ourselves. And it's just been very freeing. It's been very rewarding 
for people to come to me who maybe have read the book or just know about it and ask me questions and helping others. It's very rewarding and it's very freeing to get this off of me. Amen. And to God be the glory. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being willing, because that is the whole point is to get the load off of you. And it's not to dump the story on someone. It is to show people like this walk is not glamorous, but we don't have to walk it alone. We get to walk it with our sisters in Christ. We get to walk it with Christ as our lead and our example. And so with that, we can bring more of us along on this journey, arm in arm, when we're transparent and we're honest. I grew up in church. I grew up thinking like people had these fairy tales that they lived by because they were, you know, under God's authority. And, you know, then you become an adult and you realize that's not the case. But God is good and He is faithful all the time. So I want to thank you for sharing your story. I want to thank you for trusting me with it. I encourage you guys to grab a hold of the book and read her chapter, as well as all the other beautiful stories in there, and then get the courage to share your own. So thank you guys for listening today. We will be back again with another story. Thank you, Yolanda. You guys can connect with her. Her info will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this story has been as much of an encouragement to you as it was to me and a reminder of the power in sharing your story. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with every powerful woman you know. As always, you can keep up with all the latest Women Unveiled happenings by joining our mailing list at womenunveiled.info and following us on Instagram. All the links and resources from today's episode will be in the show notes. That's all for now. See you next time.